Welcome to the Every Breath Counts podcast. My name is Ryan Sheckel, and each week I interview experts and leaders about their stories and strategies on how to optimize your mind, your body, your career, and your life so that you can make every breath count. Thank you for investing your time in the show and yourself. Now let's get started. Mark Twain said, the two most important days in your life are the day you were born and the day you find out why. Claire Rogers was an absolute powerhouse as a director at a Fortune 100 company, constantly landing and overseeing multi-million dollar deals. After feeling corporate burnout firsthand, she decided to start her own company focused on helping others find purpose in their career and optimize their life. I'm so excited to share this conversation with you guys. We dive deep into exactly how anyone can align their passions and purpose with their career and live a fulfilling life. If you like this episode, share it with a friend that might also enjoy it. And if this is your first time here, welcome and thank you for tuning in. Be sure to click the subscribe button to stay up to date with all the latest episodes. And be sure to rate us and leave a review with the most impactful part of this podcast episode when you're done listening. I'm honored to introduce you to Claire Rogers. And I walked out the door thinking, I'm never going to work for this company. They're arrogant. They don't have the same core values as me. Anyway, uh, about two days later, they emailed me and said, we'd like you to come in for a second interview. And I remember thinking, hell no, I'm not doing that. So I emailed them back really politely. And I knew that this would be a good opportunity to work for this company. It's in the top 100 companies in America. I knew that my career would take off if I went to work for them. But I, anyway, I got that email saying, we want you to come in for a second interview. And I thought, I'm probably going to shoot myself in the foot, but I'm going to be honest. So I went back and said, thank you very much for the opportunity. But in my opinion, when you get interviewed for a job, it should be a two-way street to ascertain if both of us can work together. And I feel as though it was a police interrogation. And I didn't feel as though I had a chance to even find out if I want to work for you. I had to kind of justify myself to even, it felt like it was a privilege just to be there. So I'm going to turn down the second interview. Well, I got a call three minutes later from that person. He was a senior vice president of the company. And he said to me, I apologize. That's how we interview people, but it's wrong and we shouldn't do it. And so please, will you come in for a second interview? But this time round. I won't interview you. Nobody in the company will interview you, but the client who you would be working for will interview you. So I thought, okay, I'll do that. So I went in and I met with the client and I wanted to find out what this client thought of this American Fortune 100 company. So basically this client was going to end up paying me my salary as a consultant, but I'd be working on behalf of this American Fortune 100 company. And so I came right out and said, what do you think of this American Fortune 100 company? And she said to me, they're incredibly arrogant, but I need fresh eyes. I need fresh eyes on this account. And I want you to, to take over. And she was from Paris. She's French. She was very open and honest. And we just gelled. We just bonded straight away. And I thought, yeah, okay, I'll take a chance. I'll go and work for this company only if I work for that client. And then from there, I worked, I started working there. And within uh, two, three years, I was promoted. Then I was promoted again, and I became a director. And I was quite literally pulled up the corporate ladder. I didn't proactively go after promotions. 
I was told, hey, you should be a director or you should be looking after this team. And although I had to technically apply for each of those positions, uh, they were mine. And so I don't believe I built a career with conscious awareness of what I wanted. It was just something that was easy to do because someone chose me to do it. Does that make sense? Yeah. What is it about the idea that even though you weren't necessarily in love with working for this company, you, you felt like you had to take the opportunity? I felt as though I had to take the opportunity because my background is, uh, so I'm, I was born in England. My parents are British, but they immigrated to Canada when I was three months old to give me a better opportunity. My parents grew up poor uh, on a council state, which I think in America translates to like the projects. So my parents grew up really poor. My mom finished school at 15. So my parents immigrated to Canada. My uh, mom was 19. My dad was 21. I was three months old and they had 200 bucks in their pocket and a one-way ticket to Canada. So I grew up poor compared to other people. I didn't go hungry, but I grew up poor. First kid in the, I'm the only child, but the first kid in the entire family of aunts and uncles and cousins, et cetera, that went to college. And so when this job came along for the American Fortune 100 company, I was still in my, in my own mind think, thinking I was that poor kid. And so I saw the opportunity to like, hey, I'm going to make six figures if I go and I work for this company. I'm going to make a lot of money and I'm going to have a house, a car and all sorts of cool materialistic stuff that I didn't have as a kid. And so I'm going to take that opportunity. It's unfortunate in a lot of ways that people who grow up without oftentimes, and I don't want to, I don't want to just assume that everyone feels this way, but money while it's not everything, is definitely a way to achieve either success or to at least bring yourself out of a situation. And it's unfortunate that someone might have to, like yourself, consider taking a position with a company just because it pays well. It's unfortunate. And you wonder about like long-term happiness, long-term success within that company. I mean, was that something that you felt? What do you mean? Just that you had to take the job. I guess you you talked about having to take the job for the money. Um, did the job itself align with kind of like your purpose or your goal yeah. for your life? Absolutely not. But to be honest with you, I never really thought about my purpose or my goal in life. I just thought I want to be successful. I want to make lots of money. I want to travel the world. That was basically my only goal in life. I wanted to see every country in, in the world because travel is my absolute passion in life. And so I felt as though if I want to see every country in the world and I want to have a good lifestyle because I don't have a background that's going to help me, you know, I don't have money in the bank behind me. I don't have inheritance coming my way or anything like that. And so I thought I have to take a job like that to get ahead. So I've got retirement money so I can travel around the world and it's not my passion but I don't know that I knew what my passion was. No, that makes a lot more sense. And, and maybe it was just kind of the way I asked it. Mm. Um, so you wanted to travel the world. You wanted to be able to see everything you could possibly see in kind of this position, this job that 
afforded you those opportunities was kind of a means to an end in terms of at least being able to provide you with that sort of lifestyle, I guess is more or less what I was getting to. So here you are um, kind of living, not necessarily the dream you set out to live, but you're living a good life. You're making a lot mm -hmm. of money. You're successful in business. Um, at this point, did you feel like you had everything or were you kind of lacking something? No, I felt as though I had everything externally, but I remember thinking every time I was successful, every time I won an award, and I used to win awards all the time, they sent me to Bermuda because I won a $1.5 billion contract, um, biggest account they'd ever won and so forth. I always, every time I hit success, I couldn't believe I'd done it. And so I was always waiting for the rug to get pulled out from under me. So although externally uh, I had a lot of success, I didn't really 100% enjoy it because one, I didn't think I deserved it. And two, I thought, it's going to sound strange, but I thought God is going to come and get me. I don't know who God is, but I, I was raised, uh, born and raised a Catholic. That didn't work out for me as a kid. That was a horrible experience. My parents divorced. I got banned from the church because of it. It was So I, I had a God complex, if, if you like. And so every time I was successful, I kept thinking, I don't deserve this. And God or some external factor is going to take this from me. And so I never 100% enjoyed the success, if that makes sense. No, it does make sense. It does make sense. I think a lot of people struggle... Um, I think a lot of people struggle with the confidence in terms of, do I deserve what I'm, what I'm achieving? Um, but I think on the other end, a lot of people have confidence and are, and are wondering why they're not getting the recognition that you were. Um, what do you think was it about your performance or what do you think you were doing to achieve the success that you achieved? Honestly, I don't know if this is an American term or a Canadian term or British term, so hopefully you'll understand what I mean. I'm a grafter, which means I, from my background, I grew up with poverty, violence, abandonment, a lot of bad stuff in the past, but I'm also really re resilient and tenacious. And because I knew no one was coming to save me, if that makes sense, no one's going to come and look after me, I'm a go-getter. I will work 50 times harder than anybody else meaning I'm a grafter. And so I think that is why I am, I was successful is someone's going to work seven hours a day. I'll work 12. If you need help, you know, the constantly my VP would be saying, you know, can someone take this project on? Can someone take this project on? And I was like a monkey, you know, on the strings. I kept lifting up my arm. I'll do it. I'll do, even though I knew I didn't have the capacity or the time to do it, I will do it because I want to prove to you that you can count on me and that I am better than anybody else in this office. And that's why success was people noticed that I would do everything to be successful. I think it's a good, I think it's a good um, trait, but I also think it's important for people to hear that because I think sometimes off or oftentimes people will just assume that being in the right place at the right time, or there's luck and to an extent there is some luck, but people manifest their their destiny in a lot of ways. And, and more often than not, I would say effort is, is the biggest way to manifest the success that you're looking for. And it sounds like you just had that work ethic. And, and I haven't heard the term grafter, but I like it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I like it because it's, it's, it's taking something on one side and taking something on another side 
and it's meeting in the middle and that grafting yeah. is that yeah. middle. So what are you doing in the middle to go from one area to another area being success? And, and that grafting is what you're doing. That grafting was the effort and it was just the constant relentless drive to achieve yeah. success. I love it. But you're no longer with this company. So what was nope. the trigger to kind of help you realize that maybe even though you were just growing this exponential amount of success and recognition, what was the trigger to make a change in your life? I can actually draw a line directly down my life as to what changed. So it was 31st, no, 30th of September of 2013. I had just worked on a contract, $1.5 billion. So basically, we already had the contract, but it was due to expire. If I did not retain the contract again for another five years, I knew that I would be fired. Staff would be fired, not just in my country, but in country in countries all around the world. Huge pressure. I was told under no circumstances are you to lose this to a competitor. So basically for 12 months straight, I worked on, on retaining this client. The client was not the nicest human being on the planet. I'd even say that he was a bit of a narcissist and he definitely didn't like women or respect me. And so he was quite abusive in his negotiations with me for the 12 months. But again, I'm a grafter. I will work hard. I will befriend you. I'll do whatever it takes to win this account. And so for 12 months, I, I worked 12, 15 hours a day. Weekends, didn't have holidays, didn't spend time with my husband or family. I was just all consumed with this, this uh, contract. 30th of September... 2013, I remember sitting in my home office and the client was based in New York. And so I was waiting for him to fax the contract through to say it's signed. He did it. And I remember thinking, no, I can't believe I've pulled this off. You know, this, this scared, poor, poor kid from the past has not pulled off the biggest contract ever. I, just, I can't believe, you know, that this has happened. And so I sat up until three o'clock in the morning and I reread 90 pages of the contract to make sure I hadn't screwed up. Three o'clock in the morning, I realized I hadn't screwed up. I actually have pulled this off, um, but I still didn't feel good inside. Something told me something was wrong. The following day, it was my five-year-old nephew's birthday party. And I remember waking up really, really tired, like really dazed and confused, jet lagged. And so I, anyway, I go to my nephew's birthday party and I don't want to go. Normally, I'd be totally cool with it and play with the kids, but I was just, something was right. Something was wrong. Anyway, I get to this birthday party and I'm trying to play with my nephew and there's 15 kids and they're running around with Nerf guns and I'm, I'm trying to participate, but I don't know if you've ever felt like this, but I feel checked out of that situation. I'm playing with the kids, but I'm not really there because something is telling me inside that something really bad is about to happen to me. And I've never felt that feeling before, like this intense foreboding so that something bad is about to kick off and I can't shake it. Fast forward to two or three hours later, I've been playing with the kids all afternoon and I go to get in the car with my husband and that feeling of something bad is going to happen to me ramps up. I'm, I'm now convinced that I'm going to get in a car accident or I'm going to die or something. They're just a, a terrible foreboding. Fast forward to 20 minutes later, I'm in the car with my husband and we're talking about random things. I think we were talking about, should we go to South America for Christmas in six months from now? Like a, just a random nothing conversation. And I remember him saying to me, you know what, if we keep traveling as much as we do, we're going to have to work until we're 95. Something in my psyche did not like that comment. It was a throwaway comment. We, made, we both made good money. We were saving, blah, blah, blah. But something in my psyche didn't like it. And so next thing I know, I feel as though 
someone has got this a, a rubber band and put it around my chest and is slowly squeezing the life out of me. I couldn't feel my arms and legs, like literally started tingling and they went numb. And I was going, <laughs> like I, I couldn't breathe. And I tumbled my head forward in between my legs to try and, you know, grasp breath. I realized then I'm constricting my airways. So then I go back like this and I'm overwhelmed with these feelings of fear. And I'm convinced I'm going to die. I think that I must be having a heart attack. This is what the foreboding was, was to warn me. It's lights out. You're about to die. But somehow innately, I knew I was having a panic attack, but I'd never had one before. But something internally told me that that's what's happening. By the time we get home 20 minutes later, I've gone from being a passionate, friendly, outgoing girl to a, a wreck, just an absolute dejected wreck. Basically, then for 18 months, I wake up every single day having panic attacks like that. If you've never had a panic attack or if none of your listeners have ever had one before, it's like having 50 cups of coffee and you are perpetually in that fight or flight feeling like the saber-toothed tiger is going to come and get you. You've got that constant feeling that you're going to die. It's, an, it's a horrific feeling. And for 18 months, I woke up with those panic attacks every single day. And basically, that was the start of I knew I had to get out of corporate life because, one, it had been caused by me working these crazy long hours but two, I recognized that I wasn't living a life of purpose. And three, I realized that uh, I hadn't dealt with a lot of my background, my childhood and so forth. And so the worst period of my life actually ended up forcing me to change my life and leave corporate life. So for all 18 of those months, you continued working for the company? And that, I tell you what, is I should have had an Academy Award. I didn't tell anybody. I told my husband and I told my mom and I didn't tell anybody else in the world what was going on because I was shamed. I thought I was weak and I thought, what right do I have to complain about my life and to be having these panic attacks that's now turned into depression? What right do I have to be going through this mental health challenge? Because really I'm sitting pretty compared to the rest of the world. There's rape, there's genocide, there's war, there's, there's homelessness. And so I invalidated what I was going through because I didn't think I had a right to be going through that. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I, I'm curious to understand how many people go through this and, and not necessarily to the extent that your panic attacks brought you to. You know, I, I, don't, I don't know how many people have that that feeling that they're just being constricted and they can't breathe and that life is going to end. And I can only imagine um, how dreadful that mm. feeling must be. But I would venture to guess there are a lot of people in whether it be corporate America or, or corporate anywhere that have a very similar feeling that they are on a hamster wheel going nowhere, putting all their effort into a job that means nothing to them. And that's a scary thought. I mean, what do you say to those people? So I actually turned it into a career. I talk to these people all the time. So I quit corporate life in 2016 because I realized I wasn't living a life of purpose. Life was way too short. I didn't care how much money they paid me. I had to get out. 
And I remember reading the Financial Times. I don't remember the exact stat. It was either one in every three or one in every four employees. Doesn't matter what industry. It could be doctors, nurses, teachers, whatever it may be, janitors, anything. One in every three or one in every four people suffer from corporate burnout, panic attacks, anxiety, and depression. And so I made a career of talking about it because I realized because I hid it and I didn't tell anyone and I looked like I was living the perfect life. Well, actually, I've now done a disservice by not sharing what I went through. So I made a career into let me share what this looks like, what it feels like, but also let me share with you how you come out on the other side and you repair yourself. Yeah, let's get into that. That's an amazing statistic. 25 mm. to 33% of people. So if I'm in an office and I look around mm-hmm. and you know, you're in a cubicle, let's say there's 20 people around you or, yeah. or, or whatever it is. Out of those 20 people, five plus people are dealing with corporate burnout and, and just feel like they're banging their head against the wall? Yeah. And most people will be hiding it. Most people will be hiding it because unfortunately, I'm painting with a big brush here. I realize not all companies are like this, but unfortunately in corporate America, um, they turn and burn employees. They don't usually care what people are going through. So people have got families and they've got kids and they might be a single dad or a single mom. And so they don't share what they're going through because it's in all likelihood, they might get pushed out of their jobs for sharing it. And so what I would encourage all listeners is, One, if you're going through it, then please know that you're not alone. But two, I'm a big advocate for kindness in life in general, but be kind in the office environment because you do not know what people are privately going through. Yeah, I actually recently read an article and I I don't know where um, I read it. I'll actually have to look it up. But I read that the biggest reason that people are happy in their job is because they have a friend there. Mm. And that's a yeah. that's an interesting perspective because, you know, a lot of people say, oh, well, it's, you know, the company aligns with my mission in life or I believe in what the company is doing or I'm helping people like this. And it's like, well, no, it, it might not be any of that. It might just be that you have a friend at that company and that's why you're happy. You get yeah. to go into work every day and have a meaningful, collaborative conversation with someone that you enjoy being around. And you feel validated. Yeah. That's crazy to me. So someone comes to you and they say, Claire, I'm burnt out. I'm one of these 25% of people. Um, I I don't know what to do. I need my job. Um, I can't quit. I've got a family to feed. What can I do with my life? What's the first thing you talk to them about? The first thing I'm going to say is I need to find out how are you fueling your mindset? So I wasn't fueling myself at all when I, was, when I started having those panic attacks. So if I look at the 12 months prior, there was warning signs and I'd ignored them. I had heart palpitations. I couldn't sleep at night. I was total insomnia. I was drinking coffee all day long. I was addicted to sugar. Just I wasn't looking after myself. So the first thing I'm going to say is I need to do a deep dive analysis. What are you eating? What are you consuming? You know, are you drinking alcohol? Uh, are you fueling yourself with water? Are you drinking uh, coffee, sugar? And what are you doing for exercise? And also, what are you doing to burn off that cortisol and adrenaline that's pumping through your system? That's the first thing I'm going to ask. And then the second thing I'm going to say is, if you are in the height of 
panic attacks, anxiety, and depression, and you've got that cortisol and adrenaline pumping through you, and it's a horrific feeling because you you feel like you're jacked up on drugs. It's a, it's an awful feeling. I'm then going to say, I need you to start running, and that's what I did. I start. I went from I'll run if a bad man chases me to literally doing six miles overnight because running will burn all of that energy out. So I'm going to say, even if you can't run, then I need you to get to the gym and start helping yourself to burn it off. And then from there, we can start working on changing your mindset so that I can give you the tools to make your job work. But we need to start at the very basic level first off. Yeah. What is it about that? It's, it's, it's unbelievable to me that you can say, you know, you're a mindset coach. You're someone that can help you get your mind right to achieve success, but you still start with the physical. It's amazing. There's something about the physical body. And I think it just goes back to, you know, caveman days, right? Where we're just outside, we're getting sunlight, we're chasing people or chasing, um, uh, animals for food. We're scavenging, we're picking berries, it's just something about the physical activity. It's all connected. It it starts, and I don't, it, you know, it's the chicken or the egg, right? Your mind or your body. But I don't believe that one can be healthy without the other being healthy. No, I always say to my clients, healthy body, healthy mind, healthy mind, healthy body. Like it's, it's, you have, you can't do one in isolation and just say, okay, I'm going to start exercising, but I'm not going to do anything to fuel my brain. Or you can't just say, okay, I'm going to start meditating, but I'm not going to exercise and I'm going to eat junk. You have to do both of them. What do you think happens if one of them is lacking? Ultimately, it just won't work. You won't change your mindset. You have to do both. You have to for me anyway, I'm not a nutritionist, but for me anyway, I learned that sugar is not my friend, like uh, refined sugar, I should say, fruit, vegetables, all that's fine. But refined sugar doesn't work for me. Caffeine doesn't work for me. It's, I'm a naturally, my disposition is naturally to be anxious. And so those kind of things don't fuel well. Um, So I kind of cut that kind of stuff out. And I would encourage everybody else to do the same thing is that um, you have to identify what is not serving you yeah there's there's so many there's so many excuses in a lot of ways that people come up with to neglect their physical and or their mental health mm-hmm. and it's unfortunate because i i i oftentimes talk to people about you know running or working out and the answer that i will inevitably get is i don't have time mm-hmm. i don't have time and my comment is usually, well, you don't have time to ignore it because if you don't address it now, it's going to compound and be significantly worse for you if you ignore your physical body. And a lot of people, I do get it to an extent because there's only a certain amount of hours in the day. And if people are trying to grind at work to get ahead, you're working 12, 14, 16 hour days. Well, you still got to sleep, you got to eat, you got to work out. I mean, where do you find time for it? So how do you work with your clients about managing their time to prioritize things like fitness, like eating healthy? So the first thing I, the first thing I do with my clients is I get them for a two week uh, window is keep a time diary for me. I want you to log everything that you are doing for two weeks and I want you to share it with me. And I'm going to call you out on this no time thing. 
And studies show that in North America, so I'm including Canada and America in this, the average person spends four hours a day scrolling through social media or watching YouTube or something like that. So we're quite literally scrolling and swiping our lives away. And so this is what I've noticed with my clients is, okay, maybe you're not doing four hours a day of that, but you're doing at least two. And so you can't tell me that you don't have time to exercise for an hour because just one hour out of your day is only 4% of 24 hours. Yeah, Apple, Apple, and I don't know if it was Apple or Android did it first, but that whole um, screen time yeah. icon that comes up on your phone, it's, it is the best thing. It's probably, for people who are self-reflective, probably the worst thing that Apple could do to oh, keep yeah. them scrolling on their phone. But in terms of mental, physical health, it's the best thing ever. If that thing comes up to me and says, you know, an hour and a half, two hours of screen time today, I'm just like, oh my gosh, I'm just wasting time. And I know that a lot of it oftentimes is spent with um, emails and things like that. But I'm like, what am I doing? I've got so much more time than I think I have. And it's, yeah, it's awesome to have at least the self-awareness. And I love what you're doing with that log because you can't run from it. No. It's just right there in your face. Yeah. And then you have a choice of, okay, do you really not have time or do you have an, a, case, a case of excuse-itis here? And then I, I encourage and say, look, if you're going through anxiety or panic attacks or depression or some other health crises, what's it going to manifest into if you don't address it? So in my case, I say, that 18 months of hell was the best thing that ever happened to me because if I hadn't listened to those signs, God knows what it would have turned into. It could have turned into a stroke later on down the road or a heart attack. I listen to the signs and I say to my clients, please, please listen to your signs because you don't know what it's going to manifest into and then it's really going to take up your time. Do you think that anxiety attack you had was partially because you did neglect your physical health or do you think it was more just overwhelming? Yeah. No, I think it's, I think 100% I neglected my physical health. As I say, I was a caffeine and sugar addict, working 12 hours a day, 15 hours a day, weekends, hadn't been going to the gym. I'm skinny by nature, so I can kind of get away with that. Um, So it was definitely my physical health. But I think as well, um, I was a scared, anxious kid, and I was a scared and anxious adult. And so I think the combination of working every hour under the sun that year, not looking after myself, while also having never dealt with my past, it just, boom, exploded in my psyche. Yeah. So two weeks, time audit. So you find time, right? You you find, okay, well, even if it's a little bit, you've wasted an hour here scrolling through social media. You you sat down before going to bed and watched TV here. Um, So you find some time, you do your time audit. So what now? So then what I ask them to do is, it's going to sound kind of morbid, but I ask all of my clients, I want you to imagine you're on your deathbed. I want you to imagine you're on your deathbed. What did your life look like? What did you achieve? And what will people say about you when you die? And I know that sounds really, really morbid, but that's a really good reality check. If you do that exercise, and I, I say, don't knock that out in 15 minutes. I want you to spend a whole day just thinking about that. And then I want you to write it down. What did you achieve in life? You know, you're 100 years old. What did you achieve in life? 
how did you help people or did you help people? What's your legacy and what will people say about you? And that usually, I would say 99% of the time, will trigger people to either make a career change or to say, hey, I'm going to make my career work, but I'm going to do something else in parallel that's more of purpose. So it brings a self-awareness because quite often when we're in corporate life and you're working all those crazy hours and you're not happy and you're miserable, you know that you're stuck, but you can't see a way out. And so to get that perspective of a way out, you need to imagine your life is ended. And so therefore what needs to change? Of all the clients, yeah, of all the clients you work with, how many would you say have even approached thinking something like that before you speak to them? Never, never. And I'd love to say that that was my exercise. Uh, I don't remember. I went to London School of Economics to study coaching, so I can't remember if that was taught to me there or if it was in a book I read it somewhere. But I remember I did that analysis on my own life, and I remember thinking, oh, so if I don't make it to 100 and I die tomorrow, we're really in a misalignment as to what life is all about. And so I was able to to change my life that way. Yeah, I think this is one of the most impactful things that anyone can do. And, mm. um, and we've spoken in the past, mm. but I was diagnosed with cystic fibrosis, a, a mm-hmm. chronic and fatal lung disease at the age of 18 years old. Yeah. And when I was diagnosed my doctor told me, well, you should live to be 30 or 35. And for me, that was a very eye-opening realization. I didn't have to be self-aware. I didn't have to dive deep to think about what it would be like. I was being told what was going to happen. And while I didn't necessarily believe that that was going to be my future, uh, I, I realize I have realized that I feel like I'm a delusional optimist in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. and I yeah. I refuse to believe um, that that I will not be successful even when even when things like doctors tell me that I might not be around. Um, but just having a doctor tell you that forces you to have that conversation with yourself. And while I yeah. didn't log it down in a diary or write anything down it was constantly hanging over my head. And I think now that I'm turning 38 years old pretty pretty soon, I've been able to see, well, hey, I've tried to align my life with understanding that death is inevitable, whether, mm. whether it is or not. I think having that realization is a phenomenal exercise to align your purpose mm-hmm. with your actions. A hundred percent. I think we should all do it. But unfortunately, I think I was actually thinking about this the other day, you know, why does it take a health scare or a bankruptcy or something major for us to wake up? Uh, Because unfortunately, we all think we're going to get out alive. I don't know why we all think this, but we all think we're going to get out alive. And so in my experience, it takes a major crisis to wake up. And I almost think that that's a shame. We shouldn't wait until a major crisis happens to wake up and live a life of purpose. So my encouragement is everybody should do that exercise. Imagine it's your deathbed. What legacy did you leave? What did you do? What did you achieve? What are people going to say about you? And so forth. I think we should all do it. And it shouldn't take a crisis to make us do that exercise. Well, in a way, I mean, hopefully the conversation that we're having is, is you know, the trigger that allows others to 
to at least be self-reflective enough to to start that process without having yeah. without having the crisis in their life like maybe you had with your anxiety attack. Yeah. And and I think I love what you're doing because if there are if there are um things in someone's life that are starting to show up and they're starting to get a little bit overwhelmed, at least they can reach out to someone like yourself before it gets really bad. Yeah. And I like the idea of kind of proactive uh, health and wellness in that regard um, for your mind and your body. And I think everybody, it's like vitamins, right? No one wants to take vitamins or no one thinks about taking vitamins because right now you're not sick. Yeah. But you know what? A vitamin deficiency is not going to present itself as a problem immediately. Like if you don't no. take multivitamin or vitamin D today, it's not like tomorrow you're just going to crumple up. But a vitamin deficiency over the course of years and decades will absolutely manifest itself into terrible health later in life. So yeah. I love what you're doing in terms of just providing health and wellness before things kind of become an issue. So people have been self-reflective now. So you've mm-hmm. gotten their time audit, self-reflective, thought about what it would be like um, if they were to die, what people would think of them. Now what? And then I say, we need to work on now what is not serving you. You've done that analysis on if you were to die. Now we need to figure out what is not serving you. What are you tolerating in life that you shouldn't be tolerating? Are you in poor relationships, friendships, uh, are, are you not happy at work? We need to find out what is not serving you in life. It could be your diet's not serving you. Your nutrition's not serving you. Let's figure out what that is and let's find a way of getting rid of that. And then I start working on the number one thing that I notice that people do. There's two things that hold them back. It's fear and self-sabotaging. So then I work on what are your fears that are preventing you from living that ideal life when you're hundred years old? So what is stopping you? This is where you're at. This is where you want to be. Let's close that gap and find out what is stopping you. And it's usually fear or self-sabotaging. Self-sabotaging meaning you're telling yourself that you can't be successful or you start being successful in whatever endeavor it is, but then you sabotage yourself before it actually happens. So that's where I start working with them. Yeah, I think one of the things you said is, you know, what's stopping you from from being where you want to be at when you're 100 years old? Part of that is understanding where you want to be at when you're 100 years old. Mm-hmm. Do you talk about goal setting? Oh, 100%. And- yeah, goal setting is a huge thing. But I again, I get people back to the basics as to this is where you're at. This is where you want to be. Now let's set some goals. So I I say, I want you to have an overarching goal. And then we have a lot of mini goals underneath. And then we have a lot of tactics. So for example, my overarching goal that I say to myself every single day is I want to today align my personality with my soul and to live a life of service and help people. That's my overarching goal. And then underneath, I'm like, okay, what does that look like in principle? Okay, number one is... I've got a podcast, and so I want to empower and inspire my guests, my listeners, et cetera. And then underneath that, I build the tactics on how I'm going to make that successful. Does that make sense? No, it does make sense. And, you know, it it's difficult for a lot of people in many ways 
because like I think about goals and I think of a lot of people who, based on conversations that I've had, especially early in their careers, you say, well, what do you want to do? What what are your goals for your life? What's uh, what, what do you want to be when you grow up? Whatever it is. And you, you'll, he'll, you'll hear people say like, well, I want to own my own company. I want to be CEO. I want to be director. I want to be, you know, this sort of manager. I'm curious to know your opinion on, I guess, infinite versus finite goals, or at least kind of like a goal versus a purpose. Clarify for sense? me. So, clarify for me. Um, so I think about my life. And early in my career, um, I would say, well, I want uh, to, to take my sales territory from a million dollars to five million dollars. Right. And I was like, OK, well, that's mm-hmm. a goal. That's a goal. Um, mm-hmm. And then it was, OK, well, I'm at five million dollars. Well, maybe I want to be uh, I want to start my own sales company, whatever mm-hmm. it is. And those goals, they're achievable, but they're not really purpose driven. And for a long time, I kind of felt like while my goals were ambitious, there was no purpose underlying them. So I was just kind of making up goals as I went. And it wasn't like a fulfilled life in a lot of ways. Does that make sense? No, it does. So I guess, again, going back to it is I say I have one overarching goal, as I say, to align my personality with my soul and to live a life of service and help people. That's the overarching goal above all else. So I make sure that every goal under that always goes up to the initial, that overarching goal. Yeah. So, okay. So coming back to that then, and I I don't want to interrupt you, but I I don't want to lose it either. So that's your overarching goal. So do you help your clients create a overarching overarching goal. goal that's not like I want to be this. It's like, this is the type of person I want. Exactly. To be. So I ask everybody, what is your overarching goal in life? What do you want people to say about you on your deathbed? What is your legacy? Now let's help create your overarching goal. And then there we, therefore underneath, we can create your sub goals to make sure it aligns with your life of purpose, that overarching goal. And then that way, once you've got the overarching goal, it means that you no longer waste time in endeavors that don't reach out to the overarching goal, which is your life of purpose. That makes you're that much, makes it's much sense. easier to, to, to say no to things like, actually, no, I'm not going to do that because it doesn't align with my overarching goal. Yeah. So what do you say to people that say, well, that's great, Claire. I've got this ambition and purpose in my life now. Um, I need a job still. I still have to pay the bills. Of course. Of course. Keep your job. That's cool. But you can still take that overarching goal to your job, you know, because it's a life of purpose or whatever your, your passion may be. You still take that purpose to your job, your friendships, your relationships and so forth. Yeah. It's it's oftentimes forgotten that you can still have purpose and drive uh in in a corporate job. And Absolutely. I think that's where a lot of people struggle. I think there's there's a balance that needs to be had in a lot of ways and and I don't think people need to make a sacrifice. Um no. but I think people do need to if they're not getting that purpose at work in terms of what they're giving back if if they want to contribute to their community or whatever their purpose might be, you can still work your job 
and align your goals towards your purpose. And, and I think that a lot of people um, get to this point in their life where they feel like they have to do one or the other. No, and you don't have to. So for example, pretend someone can't quit the corporate job because they've got kids or whatever it is, but you know their, their purpose in life is they want to help people. Okay, you can't quit your job, but then why don't you start a mentoring project, a program in your company, and you be a mentor, have an open door policy where you mentor recruits that are coming in, or you mentor somebody from another department, you know, do that. That's, a, that's still living a life of purpose, you know? Yeah, it makes complete sense. So you've got your purpose, you've aligned it with what you're doing, you know what you know what it is. So um, then what's next? Are, is there follow up? What are you doing to ensure that we're working towards these goals? So what I make sure so I meet with my clients every two weeks, so I hold them accountable, I put that mirror in front of them to say, hey, have you are you aligning uh, your purpose with your goals? Are you doing that? I, it's an accountability to me. But what I also say to my clients is actually, this is a marathon. It's not a sprint. So although you've got your goals and now we've got your mindset in a good in a good place, it's daily practice. And it's just like uh, you're a runner as well. And I can't remember the exact stat, but they basically say if you take a week off of running, you lose 4% of your training time like and your endurance, right? You lose it if you don't continuously run. And I say the exact same thing. If you do not continuously work on maintaining that mindset and keeping that healthy body, you're going to lose a little bit each week and you're going to slip. And so... They say every day you have to make this a lifestyle and a practice to feed your mind, feed your body, and feed your goals. Yeah. I'm curious about this because in terms of fitness and running and in a lot of different um, areas, cheat days are are a big topic of controversy, right? Like, uh, especially nutrition. Well, do I get a cheat day? Do I get a cheat meal? How do I... How do I manage, you know, living my life to the fullest and not worrying about working out and eating right for a day? Mm. Um, what is your thought on cheat days for your mindset? No, I Never. don't. I don't know. No, no. Um, again, it's a slippery slope. And I think it's it's called a cheat day for a reason. You're cheating yourself. Um, so you can still enjoy your life. So, for example, uh, I'm a runner. So we've talked about this before. Some days running is amazing. Other days running sucks. It's awful. It's, it's cold. It's snowing. It's, it's terrible. But I make sure I run every single day. But then maybe in the evening, I'm, I don't know, I'm going to have a glass of wine with friends or, you know, I'll have some ice cream or something like this. So it's about a lifestyle rather than because a cheat day sounds like, oh, well, I got to work really, really hard for six days out of the week. But then on Sunday, it's going to be in a great day. No, you should actually enjoy those six days of the week or the seven days of the week. It should be a lifestyle and a mindset rather than a, if I do this, I get a reward at the end. Yeah, it's one of the most frustrating parts of working towards any goal is the slow progress mm -hmm. towards that goal. And in so many situations, that slow progress is the reason people quit. Yeah. What do you say to people who feel like they're not making progress? You need to find your cheerleaders and the people that will support you 
and recognize your successes, but also you need to find the people that have traveled the road before you. So I say that we're all on the same road, but some people may be further ahead on the road. And so you need to find the people that uh, are on the road that are further along than you, that are successful, that can show you the way. And then that will keep you going. But also you need to celebrate your successes. So you need to recognize, okay, my goal may be six months from now, I want to run a marathon and you can't see the 26 miles down the road because it just feels too big. But hey, you need to celebrate your successes because you just ran three miles and you never did that before. So you have to constantly celebrate your successes. And again, remember, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. Yeah, I struggle with that a lot in my life. Um like when I was training for the ultra marathon that I ran, I had such a hard time saying, Hey, I ran 10 miles today. Like mm. great job. Or even, yeah, yeah. even when I ran a marathon in training and it was, I left my house early in the morning. There was no one there. The, you know, the sun was down and I, I ran 26.2 miles and I came back and at no point was I like, like, yes, a marathon. Yeah, I've yeah. done it. You know, like I was proud of myself. I don't want to say I wasn't proud, but I was like, it's not my goal. That's not my goal. That's not, I can't, I can't, I can't celebrate this because I have not achieved my goal of a 50 kilometer, you know? So I absolutely struggle with that side of it. And I think we all do. And actually I did the same thing. I remember years ago when I trained for my first marathon, I was a Sunday. I was supposed to run 17 miles that day. And at 15 miles, I, I just couldn't do it. There was no fuel left in the tank. My stomach was hurting. I was hungry. I, di- I hadn't fueled properly. Didn't ha- I'd run out of my goo gels and so forth. And so I had to quit at 15 miles. And I remember posting a picture, I think, on Instagram of me. I looked like this sweaty monster, horrible to say. So disappointed in myself. I was supposed to do 17 miles, and I did 15. And some random person on Instagram went back and said, you still have 15 miles in the tank. You did. You do realize that this is a success. And I thought, yeah, you're absolutely right. We need to celebrate our successes, even if we don't hit the mark on the day. So how do you find those people? Because you said, you know, finding the right network that's going to build you up is key to pushing through these difficult times where you feel like you're not making progress. How do you find the people that build you up? So you need to make sure in your personal life, I think it was um, Emerson that said this. I could be wrong, but I think it was Emerson that said this. He said that you're the sum of the five people that you spend time with. And so I make sure I only hang out with positive, good, inspiring people. And the what I call energy vampires, you know, the moaners and the complainers and the people who say you can't do it, I keep them at a arm's distance away. And so... I would encourage everybody to do that is obviously you can't write off everybody out of your life. You're going to have moaners and complainers in your, in your relationships or personal life or your colleagues, but try to spend time with good, positive, inspiring people and also follow random people, follow me on Instagram or follow you, for example, follow the people that are actually putting out the good stuff out there because you never know, you might see an Instagram post or something that just you needed to read in that moment. And then it spurs you on. Yeah, I take a lot of motivation and inspiration from people that have done things, you know, that I'm looking to do. And yeah. it's it's great that you're speaking to this because what you my interpretation of what you're saying is you have to align everything in mm-hmm. your life with those goals and that purpose, that overarching 
goal. Well, one of the things that you can't ignore is your network. And if your network is not in alignment with that purpose and that, that goal, then there's still a weak link. And it's difficult because, you know, you grow up with a lot of people and you might have these great friends, um, but they may be those energy vampires. Um, It's, it's definitely a difficult situation to say, well, where do I draw the line here? Am I supposed to just throw out these friends from my childhood who have always been here? I mean, what do you say to that? And it's tough. It's, it's especially tough if you're someone by nature that wants to help people. So I used to have quite a few energy vampires in my life because I thought that I was helping them. And I thought that by cutting out negative people out of my life meant that I was a bad person. So that was a big thing that I had to get over. But now what I do is I my boundaries are like a fortress. I'm like, okay, there may be some energy vampires in my life because I've known them since I was a kid or they might be family members. And so I can't cut them out 100%, but I can minimize my time with them. And I can be aware of, okay, I need to go see so-and-so now, but I'm only going to have a one-hour coffee with you. And I'm going to control the narrative to a degree that if it gets too negative... I'm going to change a conversation or I'm going to have to say, Hey, you know what? I'm in a really positive vibe today and I don't really want to go there. And I kind of manage it that way. I love that because I think similar to what you said, if, if your goal is also to inspire people, well, then you have to, you have to, you know, put yourself out there for everybody. And I think if you are being self-aware and self-reflective, I have some amazing friends and Mm. they inspire me to do so much. And it's a broad spectrum of people. Um, And I just like to kind of look at what's going on in my life, what I'm striving to do. And at some point, like, look, when I was doing a lot of running, I just kind of gravitated a lot of times towards runners, Mm -hmm. just because it was, I had some really good conversations. And it was nice to be able to share those ideas. And then if I'm working out and lifting weights, well, maybe I'm doing a lot of more conversations and hanging out with people in the weight room and and lifting weights. And I do feel like everyone to an extent has different things they bring of value to your Uh relationship. And I love how different and unique people are. So I think it's really important to say, hey, this group of friends is phenomenal at this. This other individual might be great at this. And you can pick and choose based on what your goals are at a certain time and what you might need in certain situations to kind of take energy from others. I love it. And I, I think having a large network in a lot of ways um, is is great for that reason. And then obviously having just a small group of people that may have a very similar aligned purpose that you're constantly kind of keeping in touch with um, would be beneficial as well. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? I agree hundred percent. And what I would also say is, so I'm like you, I've got a core group of friends that I've known 25, 30 years. They're my guy friends. I've always been a guy's guy for whatever reason, um, guy's girl for whatever reason. Uh, I'm into the great outdoors, but I've got a lot of really good guy friends that I've known for a long time that I count on. And I say, you know, we'd lay down in traffic for each other. We're good, good people. But equally, what I've learned is you can increase that pack. You can increase people and you don't have to rely just on that core group of friends. We were talking earlier about, you know, we both got podcasts and so forth. And so you meet a sphere of influence out there that you may not 
have that 25-year relationship with, but you still have a common bond. And so therefore, you can get inspired by, by relative strangers as well. And I think we need to be open-minded to that. And I've definitely noticed as well that sometimes the most beautiful relationships come from complete strangers. Yeah, it's the reason I love going out and meeting new people. Mm. I love it. Exactly. I, I find inspiration and motivation from so many people. And I, one of my greatest joys is walking into uh, a party or a get together and, and just looking around saying, you know what? I'm going to go meet that person because I'm sure they're interesting. And I'm going to learn something mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm open to the possibility that this new relationship is going to bring me happiness and meaning and inspiration in my life. I absolutely, absolutely. love it. And we shouldn't, we shouldn't just, uh, I'd say as well is be mindful as we don't have to choose people that are like us or that have similar political beliefs or similar uh, interests. You know, for example, I've become friends recently with an MMA fighter. I'm, I'm not a fighter. I don't like fighting at all. Hate it. I will never go and watch him do that. I, I hate it. I hate boxing. I hate all of that kind of stuff. But fundamentally, he's an athlete. I respect athletes. He's a very inspiring guy. And so we are very different by nature, but he brings a lot to the table. So that's just an example of we need to be open to people who could be completely different from us, but they still have goodness at their essence. Yeah, sidebar on that then. So what are your thoughts on having controversial political discussions with people and really airing out the differences in opinion? I'm totally happy to do that. In fact, I've got a friend in Los Angeles, so I'm a self-confessed tree-hugging hippie liberal, and she's a gun-toting Trump supporter. And we have had the most amazing conversations. In fact, we said we need to do a podcast episode on this, on how to have healthy conversations that we don't judge each other. Because at our core, we both know that, that we're really good people. We just come at things from a different perspective, but we're still fundamentally really good people. And it doesn't have to become personal. And so we have an amazing debates back and forth based on fact rather than based on emotion. So I'm happy to do that. Not everybody's comfortable doing that because people don't like to be challenged. In my case, I'm very happy to be challenged on my political beliefs. She's very happy to be challenged on it because it doesn't mean that we don't like each other. So let's challenge each other. Maybe you make me think differently or I make her think differently. And even if we have different political views, it doesn't mean that we're bad people or at our core, we're still really good people. And I think we could all learn from that is that I don't need to be right. And you don't need to be right. We can just have a healthy conversation. Yeah, and it can be nuanced in so many ways. Yeah. Sometimes, look, oftentimes someone's not right. It's not a right or wrong. No. You know, and one of the one of the hardest things, and I'm not one to really bring up like politics or religion all the time. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there's, there's the idea that you're at a dinner party and you shouldn't talk about whatever it is, politics or religion. And to an extent, yeah, you don't want to like, alienate people and make them mm. feel demeaned in their beliefs. But I do believe there's a huge issue amongst many people that you cannot have an educated conversation with someone that has different beliefs. And I'm always happy to sit down with my friends over a drink and mm. discuss politics. A, because it's just fun to kind of get someone else's opinion. But B, 
I love them and I respect them. Yeah. And because of that, I know that I'm going to that conversation. I'm going to learn something, but also these are some of the smartest people I know when I do this. Mm -hmm. So why would I disregard their opinion? Exactly. So my thoughts are, I'm happy to debate and have an open and honest, authentic conversation because I don't need to be right. Where I proceed with caution and won't enter the debate is if I know someone is speaking from ignorance and not from fact, I won't, I won't get involved. And if I know that, for example, they're speaking from something they've seen on Fox News, okay, have that opinion. I'm not even going to go there because I just know it's not going to go to a good place. But if it comes from you've got facts and I've got facts and we just believe in going about things a different way, let's have a conversation. That's cool because I don't need to be right and neither do you. I love that. So back to it. So you have set the goals, you followed up. So how do you define success for your clients then? How, well, first of all, I don't define success. So no, two things. From a personal level, I defined success when my clients don't need me anymore. So, uh, Obviously, that puts me out of a job with that client, but I've done my job properly. If you don't need me anymore, that's cool. Um, I know that they're successful if they don't need me anymore, but two, I know that they are successful because I've given them the tools in the, to put in their toolbox and they're using those tools every day. And I can see them moving towards their goals. That's how I know it's successful. Yeah, that's, um, it's process driven in so yeah. many ways. And and I think yeah. that kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier. And I think what I was trying to get to with, with um, my original question saying, you know, this overarching goal and purpose, to me, when I think of an overarching goal and purpose, it's unachievable. It's something mm-hmm. that's, it's so out there that no matter what I do in my life, I can't achieve that goal. Um, so like I, I've said and I've stated that I have a purpose to um, to have ever to see to build a world in which every individual sees themselves as a hero of their own story. Well, mm-hmm. that's not an achievable goal. It's just not yeah. achie- not everybody in the world is going to see themselves that way. But yeah. I can work every day to work towards that goal. And maybe exactly. today one person will, and maybe tomorrow another person will. But I exactly. love the idea of having a purpose and a goal that is unachievable. Yeah, and that's mine. It's every day to align my personality with my soul. Thinking about that. So what I mean by that is my personality, i.e. Uh, my ego. So to align my ego with my soul, like to, to be a good and kind and compassionate, authentic person, that's a challenge in itself because we've all got an ego that likes to run wild and, and so forth. And so to align my personality with my soul and be of service and help people every single day is not necessarily an achievable goal either. It's a goal you have to work at every single day. You know? Yeah. So I love your overarching goal. So what are some of the smaller goals you have for your next 5, 10, 15 years? So as you know, I started a podcast four or five weeks ago called Bootcamp for the Mind and Soul. My goal, this is a big goal. Uh, so have you heard of Big Hairy Audacious Goals? Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. So it's a big, hairy, audacious goal. So my goal for that podcast is to serve and help people. So all of my guests share a fearless story that my aim is that that story will help inspire and help people, but it will also help my guests to elevate their platform to help people. So my goal for that is I want 1 million followers in the next 12 months. And people will say that that's crazy. Okay, maybe it's crazy, but I'm going to work for it. So that's one of my biggest goals. Because I think if I can get that many followers and subscribers to that platform, imagine how many people that will help. It's going to help my guests, but it's also going to help my listeners as well. Yeah, no, that's... And it's a great podcast. And I especially um, loved the, uh, is it uh, Sonny Von Cleveland? Was that his yeah. name? Yeah. yeah. The, the, some of your guests have the most amazing stories of overcoming adversity, of achieving success, of just living a purposeful life in the face of overwhelming uh, chaos in so many ways. And that, that story that Sonny shared was amazing about going to jail and being molested and then now being he's a he's a YouTube phenom at this point with yeah. with tons of followers and just his passion is unbelievable it comes off in his voice and you've done such an amazing job of getting the most out of your guests it's truly a very very enjoyable podcast and i i have no doubt no doubt that within 12 months you'll have a million subscribers to it Thank you. Um, another question I love asking. If you could sit down for a drink with anyone, past or present, who would it be and why? Ooh, that's really good. God. And I don't know who God is, but I would sit down with God and have a drink. And my question would be, so again, I don't define God by religion. If you were to ask me what religion I don't have a religion. I've got a, a philosophy. I, I lean towards Buddhism, kindness, compassion every single day. But if I could sit down with anyone, if God is indeed a person, entity, whatever it is, I want to sit down and have a conversation and say, help me understand suffering. That would be my biggest question. Help me understand why bad things happen to people. Help me understand genocide, rape, war, children being molested. I don't, I don't understand help me understand that that would be my question i mean only he would know or she yeah. or whomever yeah. um yeah it's interesting because you you have had those conversations not with god but yeah. look that to an extent that was a conversation you had with sunny yeah um and and you know he experienced some horrific things and, and came out better because of it and you know i don't want to put words in god's mouth but maybe it is to Maybe it is to help us understand and realize and appreciate the brightness in life amidst the darkness. And that's what I tend to lean towards. I think, I know Sunny agrees with me as well. I personally think that some of us have to go through suffering in order to help people. And so Sunny says this, I say the same thing. I am grateful for everything that happened to me. I don't want anybody else to go through what I went through, but I'm grateful it happened to me because if it hadn't happened to me, I wouldn't be here today having this conversation with you, having a chance to help people. 
So, but I would want to talk to God to validate that. Just say, you know, I'm on the, am I on the right wavelength here? Or do you have another purpose that I'm not aware of? <laughs> that, that's your, that, that validation is nice to have. Yeah, are we good? Like, yeah. I think I know, but just just check this box for yeah. me. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's so, so you're in London. Is it tea or is it something else? You drinking wine with God? Mm, no, you know what I love? An ice cold glass of pink champagne. You know, I, I love champagne. One, just one glass. I'm not a huge drinker. An ice cold glass of pink champagne. I want to cheers and say, you know, help me understand the meaning of life and, and suffering, you know. So that I, if you do get that opportunity, can you call me? I would love to just be there and, and I don't have to say anything. I'll just listen to the conversation. It'd be phenomenal. Yeah. I'll even drink the, uh, the pink bubbly champagne. Cool. So cool. awesome. Well, Claire, this has been a blast. I really enjoy talking to you. Um, I really enjoyed our conversation when, when I joined your podcast, yeah. I've really enjoyed getting to know you and listening to your podcast. And I, I know that you and I will, will stay in touch here in the future, but for my listeners, how can they find you? So uh, they can find me by going to itopia coaching, I T O P I A coaching.com. All of my social media is itopia coaching. And also you can listen to my podcast, bootcamp for the mind and soul. So. Awesome. I encourage you to do it. Everybody check it out. Claire, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for taking your time and talking to me. And uh, we'll have to keep in touch. Go listen to our podcast. Thanks so much for listening, guys. I really do appreciate it. Just a reminder, if you haven't done so yet, subscribe to the podcast, leave a rating and review. And as always, make every breath count.